Hello, everyone. Welcome back. It's Julie Bates with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 194. And I, I would like to thank the people that are listening to this. I keep getting emails now. Uh, I don't do anything on this podcast to try and get a few dollars out of your pocket, which seems to be an unusual thing because because of the relative popularity of this, I guess, compared to a lot of podcasts. I get a lot of uh, uh, emails from people saying, oh, you need to you need to join up with us because we can get you on other people's shows, which I, I don't have any interest in. Or, you know, we can get you guests. And, <laughs> you know, I, this is a little boring to have a guest. And, and also that we can start uh, merchandising things for you. And I mean, it, it, I get them one or two a day now. And then when you, I don't respond, they, we come back after saying, well, maybe you didn't get this. So <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, I guess that's a good sign because it means they're seeing enough audience that they want to see if they can kind of capitalize on this. So, so for that, I thank my audience, the people that are listening to this. I'm glad there's some people that, you know, find the 20, 30, 40 minutes sometimes uh, worth their while. So thanks a lot for that. What I'm going to do today, as we're all waiting for this spring winter thing to make up its mind, uh, and get into, you know, where we can consistently do the things we do with our dogs. Um, I'm going to take, I'm going to answer some, uh, some listener questions that I've had. And I want, one of the things I want to talk about, uh, also is getting ready because it's, the season starts, uh, for the competitive season, you know, it's probably already started a little bit in the warmer parts, but it starts now for all of us, uh, very, very soon. And so there's some things about that that are they're important but I'm going to go to my first question <clears throat> again no G update because uh, we're just doing our thing now you know marks and blinds and upland and steadiness and you know we make mistakes some days and some days look really amazing and and so is our sister so now we're just practice 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 type stuff so the first thing I want to talk about and I was I, I've been talking with a number of people that are looking to buy dogs and people that already bought a dog and then they're involving training and stuff and what advice I would give them um, to make that work the best way possible and and I'm going to say something that I doubt people think about very very much uh, when they're looking to find a dog or someone says here I have just the dog for you I would say the first thing that you, anyone that's getting a dog, uh, uh, and I'm talking about a functioning dog, a performing dog, I mean, I'll bet you this goes for the herding dogs and the rescue dogs and all, all the, the, you know, kind of really critical type of help out functions they perform. And for our hunting and competitive dogs, it really does. But when, let's say you want a puppy, you know, and because this is called training the pointing Labrador, let's say you want a pointing Labrador. And so you, you do an internet search, right? <laughs> well, okay, where there are just all sorts of really beautiful websites and beautiful dogs and, and uh, titles all over and all kinds of things. And it can be very confusing uh, to when you aren't armed with a lot of people that already have a lot of insider information. That's the way to go. 
Now, that doesn't mean text, email me, and ask me where you should get a puppy. Because, frankly, I don't always know where people should get puppies. I'm not, I'm not a breeder, and I'm not, you know, real involved with that. What I do know, though, are the, are the dogs that I've trained over the years and what that was like. And so, because of that, what I always encourage people to do, and I certainly do this with my own clients, they can vouch for that, is what you want this, okay, pointing Labrador, for the sake of our discussion here, you want this. What is your involvement going to be? And I'm not talking about involving professional trainers. How much time do you have and how much are you willing to commit to learning how to work with this dog and then spending the time and resources and energy that it's going to take to do that. That is maybe, if not the biggest factor, the second biggest factor. One is to get a quality animal, but the other is to be able to provide what that animal needs. So there are many people, many, many people who, and there are many good breeders. Uh, there's a lot of eh breeders and there's some very, very excellent breeders that have just made some wonderful dogs. And in, when you're looking at dogs, there are what I always call the fire-breathing dragons, right? The ones that would rather work than almost breathe. And they're those. And then there's every kind of animal in the world out there. And when you look at some of these animals, and I've trained them, and I train them to the highest level, right? And I've gone to events and gotten their four-time grandmaster or whatever, done all these things with them, and they look so good. You know, they just look so good and they do all the work and they're, they are talented, you know, and they're real pretty, real, just really pretty stuff. And yet I wouldn't have owned some of them. Some of them, absolutely. I would have taken them in a heartbeat and others. It's like, no, okay, go home now <laughs> because, and nobody ever knows that stuff and nobody ever asks about that stuff. But when you want a dog and you want to do some work with it, how trainable, how, uh, how reasonable is that going to be? There are some very talented animals that you better be really good or they're going to be get away from you all the time. You're not going to be able to manage them. You might not even be able to understand them. They might be wired so fast or so tight that it's hard. You know, I've trained a lot of those. That it's hard. Once you've done a lot of them, then you kind of know, all right, I make to make these adjustments and, and this kind of thing. If you never have, and you've got this dog, it seems like it just kind of lives in its own world and it's just so amped up and so, so everybody likes to let them run with other dogs and do all the worst things uh, possible uh, for a dog that's mind is very ADHD and very wild and crazy. It's important, if, you know, I wouldn't, any dog I've ever recommended for anybody, I've done so on the basis of how good of a fit should this dog be with these people and their lifestyle and their abilities to work with dogs. And so anyone getting a puppy, if you can possibly understand what I'm talking about and take that into account and talk to your breeder, go to a good breeder who understands this kind of thing. There's a lot of breeders just want to sell you a puppy. You know, they're making good money off of this, and they all their prior buyers say they're great, and so they're great. But they, it, they tell you that. But what is important to know is, are you going to be able to work with this dog? Are you going to enjoy working with this dog? 
Are you going to have the temperament and the ability and the time to work with this dog? Because there are, in, and I'm, right now we're just talking about pointing Labradors, there are dogs that are just so uh, willing and so connected and so wanting to do things with you and, and to pay attention and listen. There are, there are dogs like that. And that's a, such a nice dog to have. I personally love getting those <laughs> in the train because you show them and then you show them and you condition them and they do it and, you know, everyone's happy. And then there's dogs with that much talent or more who kind of think they know the way and they, and they live in their own. Again, I always say they just live in their own world and you have to impact in there to reach them. Now, if you can do that, then you can have a great successful go with these dogs and have it be, have them be very connected and be partners. But if you can't, then you're always just, you know, hanging on to the saddle horn, not to get bucked off. And so when people, uh, talk to breeders or look at dogs or things like that. Um, that, let me tell you, just when we were looking, uh, to breed Zia to get G and Kai, and there's a brother, but I don't, I haven't heard enough about him to say anything. And, and so I, w there was a suggestion it was Teddy. That's the dad. And so I, I called Teddy's owner and said, you know, uh, yeah, he has titles just out the earlobes, you know, he just has obviously talented and accomplished. And so I asked a lot of questions about, about Teddy, all right, about him. And one of the questions I said was at eight weeks old, when did, when did you first put him on a bird? It was real early. What did he do? Just tell me what he did. And he did the same thing that, that uh, Z did, and that's lock up and point. And on every bird, that all the birds that he was on, right? So that's a really good thing. That means you're not going to have to do all kinds of stuff to, to, to bring out the point. Okay, there's a plus. He lives in the house with the family. And I, he has pictures of him on the recliner and all this stuff. But the dog um, uh, has been trained by several people. And I don't, I mean, have run. You know, he's been professionally run by some people in some venues and, and by his owner in other venues and all kinds of stuff. And the dog was always just successful with different people and different kinds of testing venues and stuff. Okay, another good sign. I'm not trying to sell uh, either one of these dogs as anything. I'm just saying I asked a lot of questions about the personality and the trainability of this dog because I knew Zia really well. And so I, in the puppies that were going to be made, we were hoping to get a super talent that was just really uh, pleasant to have around and easy to train. And in fact, we did. You know, with G, I don't have to use pressure very much at all. I just have to show her. She always wants to kiss me all the time. And so is her sister. Okay, I don't, that, that, you know, I, that's nice. I'm, I don't need dog spit in my face. But, but so they are what I hoped for. And so their owners are going to just have a blast with them because they aren't going to, you know, go, I don't know you. I'm not going to do anything you say. They're going to be a heck of a lot of fun and easy to have around in the house, out of the house, all that stuff. So when you're looking for puppies, look for how this dog is going to be for you for the whole life and how easy is it going to be to teach things and do things with. And... Uh, Ask questions that are leading, that, you know, don't ask a, a, a yes-no question. Ask something so they have to tell you a story about them and learn about them. And it's just, 
it, I think it's real important when you're going to evaluate looking for puppies of any breed for anything, find one that is going to fit with your abilities and your time. If you don't have a lot of time and yet you're still going to find a little bit to do it, you don't want one of those dogs that needs to be challenged and, and worked a lot. And let, dog parks is not working and getting exercise. Chasing the other dog is a counterproductive to every fire-breathing dragon in the world. Don't do that. It takes more from you where you are making them think and have a lot of structured activity. So be cautious on, on puppy choosing for the fit for you. Not only you know does it a fancy dog and have all these abilities, but what is it going to be like to live with and work with? And do you have what it takes? And ask questions of breeders and prior owners and people from the earlier litters that that don't lead them to the answer you want, but so they have to just tell you about their dog. That would be, that would be an important thing. Okay, next, next question is that I've had is, I, I get so many phone calls where people say, well, I don't want my dog running field trials. I'm not sure people know what all the things are for our uh, retrievers to do. Um, so, I, I don't think field trials is sort of the NFL, and I'm not diminishing anything else it does anybody. It's like NASCAR, it, you know, or like the the Daytona 500, right? It is the most difficult, the most insane, the craziest, most not a not appropriate. You know, the nobody in the I can't say I've driven on the freeways, but people shouldn't drive like they're in the Daytona 500, right? At 200 miles an hour and going around corners at that speed. They do that there because the drivers are capable and the vehicles are capable. And the, so field trials are like that. You know, they have 500 yard long marks and blinds and a lot of them and just amazingly difficult things. And those are, you know, it's so admirable, those dogs that do that well and those trainers that, that do that. But that's what a field trial is. It's an AKC, an American Kennel Club activity that is the most outrageously demanding uh, in terms of what is expected out of the dogs. And that's what a field trial is. And of course they have pointer field trials and all the other kind of, of sporting dog field trials and the hound things. You know, my dachshund has her field trials where they hunt bunnies. But field trials in the retriever world, okay, are, are marks and blinds on land and water that are just outrageously challenging and take a lot of good training and a lot of very good dogs and very good handling. That's what a field trial is. So that's for somebody that understands stuff and um, you know has, has learned about really excellent dogs and really excellent, excellent training and watched the game a little bit and been there and maybe worked their way up through some hunt tests and then, and just because your dog can run a hunt test doesn't mean he can run a field trial. Just like the Daytona 500 cars are not the ones at the speedway on Saturday evenings. It's a different thing. And I'm not insulting anybody. And I don't, I no longer do field trials. Then there are hunt tests. And AKC has hunt tests. And the UKC has their hunter retriever thing that they do. And they have hunt tests. So you have AKC hunt tests juniors, seniors, and masters. And then you have the stuff that comes out of the UKC where they have started, HRC stuff, started, seasoned, and finished. So they have lever levels for beginning dogs. 
and sort of intermediate dogs that can do multiples and can handle a little bit and then they have the master and the finished which is triples and even quads and double you know all kinds of stuff and very challenging stuff so you can run akc hunt tests or you can run the hrc hunt tests they have slightly the rules are a little bit different akc you can't talk in certain situations and and hrc you have to dress a certain way and so there's a lot of rules at once i would say the hrc seems a little more relaxed and people are <laughs> have a little bit better time over there often than AKC. Um, AKC is what I do. But you have those things. And for those of us with pointing labs, there's the American Pointing Lab Association, which has now connected up with the UKC. So now those dogs that run an APLA need to be registered with the UKC, and then they're in that database over there. And they can also be registered with AKC and because to run AKC events, you need to be uh, registered in the AKC. And to run the HRC events and the APLA events, you need to be registered in the UKC. So that's the differences in those things. And in the American Pointing Lab Association, where you have to be UKC re uh, registered and can certainly be AKC registered, and most people still do register their litters that way, uh, so that the owners can go whatever way they want in doing things with dogs, or if they're going to breed them, obviously. Being registered is a, a little bit of a sign of credibility there. allows you to register the litter as well. The American Pointing Lab Association also has three levels. The Certified Pointing Retriever, which is where they have to do an upland field and, and show a legitimate point for five seconds and retrieve the bird from that and then do two watermarks to show you know, the waterfowl side of that. Then they have the advanced level where you have land doubles that are very straightforward, water doubles that are very straightforward, a land blind. And then uh, you have to hold a longer point and tend to, if all the dogs are pointing a lot of birds and yours doesn't, then you probably aren't gonna, you only get one point. So they kind of grade on a curve there, taking things into considerations. But the point is longer and generally expect a little bit more pointing on, on the bird finds than you do in, in the certified. Then in the master level, that's where you have land doubles, land blinds, water double, water blinds, diversion birds. And in the upland field, you have four birds out there and you can't, you have to be steady, you have to point, and you have to be steady on everything. And if there's four birds out there, you need to do your best effort, what, uh, heat conditions and whatnot allowing to find all the birds. Uh, not go out and find one 10 second point, be steady and call it good. That's not, master field means you need to consistently show the steadiness and the accomplishment on the pointing. So those are the retriever things that are out there of the sporting, of the hunting related. There's a bunch of other stuff too all kinds of stuff you can do with them. But that's what this, the, the hunting related stuff is. So that's what's available. And when you're brand new to everything, it's, it's nice to start at a kind of a friendly level where it's not super competitive and everyone helps you and you know the judges don't wanna see you fail. They never do, but I mean, they, they'll help you out. Don't be, be you can't do that again. That, that'll, that gets you, you know, failed out of this. So that's a real good thing to do. You work your way up. Just because a dog runs a long mark doesn't mean he's a field trial dog. Of course, it doesn't mean he doesn't. But 
it's a again your NFL players aren't really they're very special the the drivers at Daytona they're very special um so it's not like any dog and any person can do the super hard stuff but you certainly can work your way through to find the level where you're enjoying yourself and so that's sort of what's out there for the retriever people um and it's not really written down in one place all of this stuff so i hope that's somewhat helpful uh for people that were kind of interested in like what is it i'm going to do with my dog but you have to have them registered with the right organization and then now you can go online and you can see videos i think our prior secretary put a whole set of videos out showcasing the difference between the levels in the american pointing lab association so that's available I'm going to say, I can't say this for sure because I haven't checked, on the American Pointing Lab website. If it's not there, I'm sure it will be soon because they're doing some revamping on that here soon. So that's available. Look at those things. There are many local clubs for HRC, for AKC hot tests, for AKC field trials, and for the APLA. And there are more and more of those all the time. And we're going to try to get that on the website so people can go on there and see if there's a club somewhere near them where they can get with people in the same tribe that like doing the same thing. So that's for new people that are getting into this and, and uh, wonder what, how do you, what is there to do and how do you do it. There's a good place uh, to start. Okay. Uh, the last issue that I had here was that, again, I had mentioned earlier that there are... Uh, a lot of the, uh, this is going to be about getting ready for, and I'm going to say we're, we're going to talk about getting ready for hunt testing, and that means APLA, HRC, AKC hunt testing. Getting ready for the season, which I hope most people were doing, whether allowing all through, you know, since it ended last year, maybe take some time off for hunting and then kind of get back to this. So generally, the first thing everybody wants to do is start setting up the tests and practicing. <laughs> It's always what they do. And so we have all these clubs I know that are having training days and, and to get all the members ready and all of that. So I'm just going to throw out um, some thoughts. You know, people ought to do whatever makes you feel best to get ready. I'm just going to throw out some thoughts about what I do to get uh, dogs ready. Because I've had G and her sister all winter long, right? And they're supposed to come out this, this spring and hopefully look like everything I said was true. Um, and a lot of other dogs too. So what, how do you, what's a good way to go about this? Now, I don't, I know people like to do the test setup because when they train by themselves, they can't do the test setup. And so when they go to a club or a training group, then, okay, now we can, you know, we got enough people, I can have a double and a blind or a triple or whatever it is you want to do. And, and I'm going to, uh, offer some different thoughts on this when you do have a training group and particularly when you have a club so you have a fair number of members the nice the advantage to that in pre preparing you to go run tests is because there's a bunch of people and there's people talking and there's dogs barking and there's cars lined up and there's a, a fair number of people around that is very similar all right to the hot test environment Many times when we're nervous, when we're nervous going to a hunt test, it's because we train by ourselves, right? 
And so there's none, none of these other things, external things going on. So we're just invested in the dog and what we're doing. And now you go to hunt test and there's people and they're judging you and everybody's looking at you or so you think. Actually, like I've always said, nobody really cares but you because <laughs> they're all worried about themselves. But anyway, so you're, you're nervous and it's, it's hard. When you train in those groups, and people should really find opportunities to do that if it's a good positive group, um, because that's good for you and that's good for your dog to have to function with a bunch of stuff going on. So all you groups that are setting these things up, set it up so it is people are all parked fairly close together like they would be and that you know people are standing in line waiting to get in the holding blind and if there's somebody talking nobody yells at them Shh, be quiet because that's what it's going to be at a hunt test and if the bird doesn't go exactly where it was supposed to be that happens too and deal with it so that's one of the things that's really useful in the training groups and the clubs that get together to do this stuff now the other thing that i strongly feel is i i, I don't think don't go set up the test and practice the test because i've said 50 times in all the places that i say things and write things that you don't get good at taking an algebra test by just taking a lot of algebra tests you get good at taking an algebra test by getting real good at the fundamentals of algebra and on the test, you just got to put a few of them together. So when you are, and it's still a little bit, a little bit of time before the test start, make sure that you have those solid fundamentals in place. And by that, I mean, you, you can walk to the line and sit down and your dog looks out to see where the gunners are, what's happening. And then they sit there and you don't have a major disobedience problem. Because if you have a dog that won't walk up, sit down, and start looking out, it doesn't really matter after that because you have to have that for the test. So make sure that you have your basic obedience and your relationship going up to do this stuff in place. If you don't, get it there before you ask more of the dog past that. If they won't sit down and watch and focus on stuff, don't work on the stuff they're not focusing on. Right? So make sure they come up, sit down, and look. Make sure that whatever kind of mark is thrown, whether it's a short, easy, a kind of a middle of the road or kind of a really hard one, make sure that they can do the single marks very well. If they can't do single marks very well, then they really double's gonna be a mess. So make sure they're very good at single and practice a lot of those so the dog just looks, watches, and stays focused on the bird. That gets you through more triples then a dog whose head is swinging all over, catches it in the arc, and looks over for the next one. Okay, it's, you're going to get through a lot more of the hard set of marks if your dog stays focused on one. And that's why it's often better to do just one. Now, if your dog has never done blinds with marks, let's don't just jump in on a training day and get it started. You have, when you're at a training day, unless you have a dictator running the thing, if you have marks out there and blinds out there, when it comes your turn, say, you know, I'm going to run the blind first before I run the marks because I think if I try to do it afterwards, this dog isn't quite ready for that. Or change it around. Do something that is useful to you. Now, again, if you have somebody running your training group that doesn't allow you to do what you think is best, I'd 
you know, I hope you could find another training group or at least ask that person. You know, I just, I really would like to just use this wonderful setup you have in a way that, that is more meets the needs that I have. So don't be, don't walk up and just do what everybody else is doing or what somebody says. Hopefully you go up there knowing, you know, gosh, we haven't really practiced this. So I better simplify and back off a little bit before I do this. And trust me, because I did this in the very beginning when I didn't know uh, a whole lot, but I, I knew my dog and they'd have something set up and I'd go, ah, I don't think I can do that. I'd move my line, I'd move up, you know, 50 yards. So I was closer and I wouldn't set birds down. So I didn't want to get mad that I had a bird set down out there, but I would change those things even if they were telling me, well, if you're going to run a derby, you better not. It's like, yeah, okay, thank you. I would still go do what felt right to me. And I just think people should do that because then you're more relaxed when you go into these events. But make sure that you break down what you and your dog are doing into just the fundamentals of it. Again, a triple is three singles. And so your dog should be able to do one single and then another and then another really well. And then, you know, you can practice some multiples every now and then. But not if it's getting there where they're just head swinging and moving and looking around and not focusing. Because marking is heavily dependent on a dog's ability to focus and remain focused on a particular area. So just something to think about. Use your training group for the people and the commotion and the stuff. And use your training group to get what you and your dog need out of it. And people that are setting those up that are good at this will give you that opportunity. And make sure you understand. So that's the thing to do. Practice your fundamentals above all other things all the way up till the day before. And the day before these big important tests, I don't go out and do anything where I, I all heck could break loose. I go do conceptual, just conceptual things and get the dog to feel confident, focused, and capable of doing anything. And they go into a hard test with that attitude. They're going to be a lot more successful and so will you. So I hope that's helpful. Um, we got a lot of competitions coming on. And uh, it's a busy time. And now that I'm uh, president of the APLA, I, my goodness, I, I, I need a, an assistant just <laughs> to make me not forget stuff. I got a lot going on. So I'm not going to let this podcast go. And I am not going to find ways to take your money by selling you a t-shirt or a cozy. I hope that this is just useful and helps you out in what you're doing. And that we can keep this going for a long time. So wishing the best to everybody. Stay warm, stay healthy, stay safe. And G and I will be back soon. <laughs>